Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.59 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 27th of May, 2021. This is episode 427 of Bitcoin. And let's just start it off with Bitcoin Magazine. Luno is forced to remove Bitcoin ads in the UK. Tyler LaRoche is writing it. A creative advertising slogan curated by Luno, a United Kingdom-based Bitcoin exchange, has been banned. Yes, let's ban everything. Banned by the UK's Advertising Standard Authority, or ASSES, I'm sorry, that's ASA, according to a recent report from CNBC, posters displayed across the London Underground Network and on London buses prominently stated slogans like, if you're seeing Bitcoin on the underground, it's time to buy. The ASA quickly demanded that the ads be taken down, declaring that the campaign failed to highlight the risks associated with investing in Bitcoin. The ASA declared that Luno must ensure that their future marketing communications make sufficiently clear that the value of investments in Bitcoin was variable and could go down as well as up. (laughs) Paired with this, the ASA said that Luno needs to highlight that it and the Bitcoin market at large are unregulated. The ASA banning ads due to concerns that the price of Bitcoin fluctuates while implying that the asset is not a safe store of value coincides with the beliefs of many central bankers across the globe. Yet, these statements are inherently hypocritical, as all fiat currencies issued by central banks have devalued at a rapid pace over the course of history, clearly seen by the British pound's massive devolution over time. For instance, the ASA proclaiming that the ad is irresponsible is a ridiculous notion. Most entities would rather promote fiat currencies than Bitcoin, yet Bitcoin is the only tool that protects one's time from being stolen away. In reality, not promoting Bitcoin is an irresponsible choice. It is. It absolutely is. However, I mean, just to... Okay, look, guys, the, the reality is that we're dealing with most people who are still asleep and connected to the matrix, right? So you can't forget the rules of the matrix. You came out of the matrix. I came out of the matrix. We are well aware of the rules of the matrix. Just because we're not plugged into the son of a bitch anymore does not mean that those rules do not apply to all the people that are plugged into the matrix, including people at the ASA. Now, this is not an apology for them, or I'm not being an apologist. I'm just stating facts here. Of course they were going to do this. Of course they were. Because Bitcoin does go up and it does go down. They are blinded to the fact that their own fiat system has devalued over time. Okay, and not just the UK. Obviously, it's all of us. All fiat currencies in the world have lost their purchasing power 
from 100% probably down to as low as 0.9% over the last 100 years. And that's every one of them, man. There's, I don't think a single one of them has, has kept their purchasing power, you know, above 5% of what it could have bought 10, you know, a hundred years ago. So of course they were going to do this. I am not surprised and I'm not going to be surprised when they do this shit again. So somebody needs to come up with a clever ad for Bitcoin that talks about how fun of a ride it is because it does go up and down. But yet at the end of the day, your time will be more or will be better served than storing it in any fiat. And we can prove that with numbers. That's probably why they want to say, uh, get us to all teach our kids that two plus two equals five. So that it actually equals, you know, numbers actually equal more than they are. Who knows? Anyway, we have another billionaire on the horizon, guys. Yes, Carl Icahn says he may drop up to $1.5 billion in crypto, says Brian Quarmby from Cointelegraph. Former crypto skeptic Carl Icahn, the founder of Icahn Enterprises, told Bloomberg that he's set to enter the crypto market in a big way. Teasing an investment of around $1.5 billion, Icon is an investor and former advisor to the Trump administration who has a net worth of $15.6 billion, according to Forbes. In 2018, Icon told CNBC that crypto is ridiculous and added, maybe I'm too old for them, but I wouldn't touch that stuff, end quote. But speaking on Wednesday, Icon explained he's now considering a large investment and that entering the market in such a manner would, quote, not be to buy a few coins or something, end quote. I mean, a big way for us would be a billion dollars, a billion and a half dollars. I'm not going to say exactly. Icon joins a growing list of fellow billionaires who have changed their tune over crypto in the past 12 months. When asked about what cryptocurrencies he has his eyes on, the billionaire kept his cards close to his chest and emphasized that, quote, much of the cryptocurrency issue today will not survive, but we believe cryptocurrency is in one form or another might be here to stay. To be clear, we have never bought any cryptocurrency, but we are studying it, end quote. Good God. Icon believes that cryptocurrencies that don't at least serve as a store of value will be flushed out of the market as there's got to be some form of safety valve there to survive. Icon Enterprises is a $14.5 billion American conglomerate with investors in CVR, Pep Boys, and Trump Entertainment Resorts. Ooh, I don't know, man. I, I probably would let that one go. Hey, look, I'm not an orange man hater or anything like that, but I, I don't know, man. I don't know if the Trump brand is, is going to be all that conducive to making money. Who knows? I don't know. I may, I may be wrong, but it looks like he kind of shot his wad on that whole deal. And holding, you know, Trump entertainment enterprises may not be the best deal, but hey, you do what you want. Ryan Adams, an Ether proponent and founder of crypto investment firm Mythos Capital and Bankless, speculated on Twitter that Icon's recent kite flying in the media may indicate he has already entered the market. Oh my God, are you shitting me? Oh, dude. <laughs> Talk about speculation. Man, that is... That's reaching right there. Although Icon, in a, in, this is not part of the story, but let's be clear. Icon uh, said that he likes Ether better than uh, Bitcoin. So be aware that that shit's on the horizon. We'll, we'll I'll say more about it here in a minute. <clears throat> 
quote, if Carl Icahn hasn't already bought a billion dollars worth of Ethereum and BTC, why would he announce he's about to buy a billion dollars worth of Ethereum and BTC, end quote. The billionaire f expanded further on his views about crypto to Bloomberg, saying he now thinks that skepticism over the value of crypto is a little wrong-headed as he questions the intrinsic value of the United States dollar in comparison to crypto, which could be a store of value and hedge against inflation, quote, well, what's the value of a dollar? The only value of the dollar really is because you can use it to pay taxes, end quote. When Icon was asked, what is your use case for crypto? The 85 year old spoke about the Ethereum network, noting that with Ethereum, it's the underlying blockchain. So Ethereum has two things. You can use it as a payment system. You can use it as a store of value. Bitcoin to me is just a store of value, he added. Okay, so that's Carl Icahn's wrong-headed wrong maneuver here. Now, here's the thing. It's, this is one of the reasons and probably the major reason why I have a thesis that Ethereum is not going away. And no, it's not because I like it. You just gotta, you just gotta prepare yourself for the fact that I don't, I don't think Ethereum is gonna go away. I just, I don't. And it's gonna be because of shit like this. Carl Icahn. Why would he be interested in Ethereum? Well, because they can put pressure on the, the folks over at Ethereum, like Vitalik Buterin, to basically do whatever it is that they tell him to do. Because, because Vitalik is, is a human and has the needs and the wants of a human, uh, they're basically going to play on his innate greed because, you know, primates ape around and we want shit and sometimes we want other people's shit for ourselves. <clears throat> they're going to be able to lean on him with all the physical pleasures of this world. The, I mean, literally bought with straight up fiat. Mansion here, yacht there. Just do what we tell you to do, Vitalik, and he'll do it. I mean, they've changed monetary policies. They've done everything under the sun. They've rolled back the whole goddamn chain before, which caused a split into Ethereum Classic, and that was the DAO hack back in 2015 or whatever. It's it, the whole thing is completely controllable. Of course, Carl Icahn and a whole bunch of other billionaires, when they get in, they're going to start gravitating over to Ethereum because they know they can control it and they will do to it what they've done to the legacy financial system, or they will at least incorporate it 100% into the legacy financial system. And when they, as they do that, it's basically they're, they're throwing a chain around Ethereum and the ship is sinking and they're going to take Ethereum with it. It's just not going to be tomorrow. All right. That's, and we're fight. Why they're, why are they going to, what the other reason why they're going to gravitate towards Ethereum is that they know they can't control Bitcoin. They know they can't. There's, there's no way it's too decentralized. There's too many different groups that are all acting basically in concert for a common goal. And yes, some of those goals are, are driven by greed, but for the most part, <clears throat> it's just driven by getting the hell out of the financial system as we know it. And they can't control it. They are going to find the things that they can control. Remember I used to say, hey, look, if it looks like it can be regulated, it will be regulated. Enter Ethereum. If it can be captured, it will be captured. If it can be regulated, it will be regulated. If it cannot be those things, it will be shunned. And other things that can be controlled, manipulated, and regulated will be looked on as the golden child by the legacy financial system and the folks that control it. 
That's why Ethereum is not going away. And it's probably not, it's probably the same reason why Cardano may not go away. Although that one, Jesus, you can talk about a shitstorm. But shit like Ripple, Cardano, Ethereum, I group them all together into a t- basically just a tax on Bitcoin. And whether whether it was done on purpose or just it just happened to turn out that way, I don't know, and it doesn't need conjecturing. But just do be aware that a lot, some of these things, these higher tier attacks on Bitcoin are probably going to be around for a while. Carl's right. The rest of it's going to go away, but you're going to be stuck, sadly, with shit like Ripple and Ethereum. I hate to say it, but just be prepared and think about, I don't know, uh, drive your mind into, you know, fire those neurons into thinking about ways to discredit any part of that. Or, you know, figure out how to tell you spin a narrative to tell people why Ethereum is just basically going to be captured. Why? In my view, because it looks exactly like a digital form of the legacy financial market. Just as controllable, just as regulatable, just as manipulable. I don't know, man. Just be aware. Now, good news on our side. Sidecar channels, pal. Sidecar channels. I didn't even... I wasn't even looking out for this. I hadn't even heard about this shit. But the guys over at Lightning Labs uh, seem to have done it again. Sidecar channels for onboarding a billion people to Bitcoin. Lightning is needed, says Ryan Gentry. And this is directly off of lightning.engineering. It's their blog post. And it was released yesterday on the 26th. Today, we are excited to announce a new addition to Lightning Pool, Sidecar Channels a feature that makes it easier to onboard new users to Lightning without the need to commit funds. Oh, this should be interesting. In late 2020, we released Lightning Pool, a non-custodial peer-to-peer marketplace for Lightning node operators to buy and sell channel leases. Lightning Pool connects node operators who need access to Bitcoin liquidity with those who have capital to deploy on the Lightning network. With Pool, node operators are able to bid on and purchase inbound liquidity while maintaining custody of their funds. However, Pool requires those in search of inbound liquidity to fund their accounts with Bitcoin before placing a bid, which isn't ideal for all users. (coughs) Sidecar Channel solves this problem by enabling a third party to purchase channels on behalf of a user. These are regular channels created through Pool, but where the buyer of liquidity is purchasing on behalf of a third party who does not have a Pool account yet. This makes it incredibly easy to onboard new users in a non-custodial manner to Lightning, spin up LND, scan a QR code from a node with a funded Pool account, and gain the ability to receive payments through a well-connected routing node. It also creates a new trust-minimized line of revenue for node operators interested in brokering channel leases to onboard these new users and provide an incentivized way to create dual-funded channels between users. In the simplest case, Alice decides she wants to start receiving Bitcoin payments over the Lightning Network. However, she doesn't have any Bitcoin to fund channels. In this scenario, Alice could be a non-custodial wallet user, a merchant onboarding to BTC Pay server, or a podcaster onboarding to Sphinx Chat. Prior to sidecar channels, Alice would have needed to fund a pool account with Bitcoin before purchasing an inbound channel through which she would receive Lightning payments. 
However, with Sidecar Channels enabled, Alice can use the funds in Bob's pool account to purchase a channel instead. Bob could be the non-custodial wallet developer who wants to give his users a seamless onboarding experience, a BTC pay server grant paying for a new merchant's first channel, or the podcast index helping new podcasters get into lightning. The common thread is Bob's funded pool account, which gives him access to a marketplace of well-funded, highly connected routing nodes selling channels in return for yield on their Bitcoin. Let's say Carol is such a routing node. So Alice pays Bob to provide her with inbound liquidity, either in fiat or over at the Lightning Network directly. Bob pays the channel lease fee to Carol from his pool account, and Carol opens a channel to Alice. Alice can now accept Bitcoin payments over the Lightning Network. Bob made a small profit for brokering the channel lease, and Carol earned a risk-free yield on her Bitcoin. The Lightning Network is, of course, permissionless. There's no approval required in order to set up Lightning payments. Alice could be anyone creating value with an internet connection. DJs on the Lightning Music Store, artists on Scarce.City, podcasters on Sphinx Chat, streamers on Twitch, and so much more. But wait, there's even more new channel constructions. Sidecar channels also allow for a few new channel constructions. One, dual-funded channels. Alice doesn't necessarily have to sorry, Alice doesn't necessarily have to only be in need of receiving payments. She could pay Bob extra out of band and have him fund a balanced channel between her and Carol so she can both send and receive payments right off the bat. This is also very useful for routing nodes that want to start off with a balanced channel, especially as it is cheaper than buying one inbound channel lease and selling one outbound channel lease with the current pool configuration. Additionally, using the original pool channel process with Alice and Bob, Alice can now add funds via the self-balance field, which automatically pushes funds to Bob's side of the channel in the batch to stimulate or simulate dual funding. Two, direct exchange withdrawals to a channel. If Alice is a lightning-enabled exchange, <clears throat> sorry, if Alice is a lightning-enabled exchange with a pool account, Bob could request an on-chain withdrawal directly to a new channel between his Lightning node and Carol. Alice would pay Carol's pool account with Bob's money, both the full channel balance and the premium so that Carol would open a channel to Bob with the entire balance pushed to Bob's side of the channel. This feature does require Bob's client software to have some lightweight pool functionality to be able to register with the auctioneer, which is coming soon to Lightning Terminal. In short, sidecar channels make lightning liquidity more portable and flexible within the network without compromising on trust. They allow for a new line of revenue for node operators via brokering channel leases and potentially for a new trust-minimized business model for those interested in onboarding the merchants to the lightning network in a non-custodial manner. Sidecar channels are available uh, via a new release of the command line using the reference Go client or PoolD, and will and will be available in Lightning Terminal with the upcoming LIT version 0.4.2 release, and that UI is coming soon. APIs are available for gRPC and REST integrations. As always, we want to hear from the community, so email, Twitter, blah blah blah. Tell them what you think about it. Okay, so that. This is going to be kind of cool. And here's like, if, if all of that just went over your head, think of it like this. I want to be able to do shit with lightning. 
I don't know shit about lightning. So what do I do? I hitch a ride. What's the best way to hitch a ride on with, with somebody who's already doing this? You get into their sidecar. Sidecar in this, in this case looks very much akin to the sidecar on a motorcycle. It itself is attached and is, its balance and its mobility and its direction of travel are completely determined by the motorcycle on which it is attached to, but it will carry a person. Now, there's another person on the motorcycle that has the ability to drive, the ability to be mobile because it has an engine and all that kind of shit. And it also provides the sidecar with the other end of the balance, like because the sidecar only has one wheel. If you detach it from the motorcycle, it basically just leans over where the bar that would attach to the motorcycle is just on the ground and you ain't doing dick. <clears throat> so... Without any engine of your own, i.e. lightning channels, being a node operator and all that kind of stuff, you are still able to piggyback onto the lightning network in a way that allows the driver to drive that, if that makes sense. So this is a new way to get people to use lightning network and they don't have to be a full node operator. They don't have to know about channels that, you know, as much. They don't really have to dick around. They don't really have to put their hands in the mud. Believe me, there's enough people that are getting dirty in the lightning pool uh, and, and the, the, we'll call it the lightning mud pool. We, we got you, okay? We, we got you. So this is exciting. I'm really, I'm really excited to see this come out. So good, got, good job, guys, over at Lightning Labs. Samuel Haig is writing for Cointelegraph. NVIDIA reports record earnings, but claims it's hard to determine if that impact is due to crypto mining. Yeah. Sure, right. NVIDIA, a leading manufacturer of graphics processing units, or GPUs, has announced record earnings for quarter one, 2021. However, the firm has downplayed the role of crypto bull market in driving its impressive performance, primarily attributing demand for its products to gamers. The firm reported an 84% increase in sales overall with the impressive performance owing to a period of sustained growth despite global shortages in semiconductors. NVIDIA's sales and earnings both surpassed the expectations with Wall Street reporting revenue of $5.66 billion and earnings of $3.66 per share after pundits had predicted earnings of $3.28 per share and a revenue of only $5.41 billion. NVIDIA claims demand from the video game sector more than doubled in the past 12 months, producing annual growth of 106% to drive $2.76 billion in sales. CFO Colette Cress emphasized a surging demand for its consumer GeForce GPUs for gamers and students. Its graphics segment represented $3.45 billion in revenue with an increase of 81%. However, NVIDIA estimates demand from crypto miners represents just $155 million worth of sales. The company recently took action to deter crypto miners from purchasing the GPUs earlier this year by adding software that limits the hashing capabilities of its GTX RTX 3060 units. While the firm noted that cryptocurrency miners had a positive impact on demand for GPUs, NVIDIA determined it is hard to determine to what extent revenues could be attributed to that sector. 
Despite its impressive performance, NVIDIA expects its recent supply woes will continue for the coming months, predicting GPUs will be in short supply during the second half of the year. NVIDIA Chief Justice Jensen, Jensen Huang predicted the firm's forthcoming CMP chips, specialized units dedicated to mining cryptocurrency, will help ease the problems as miner demand for its regular GPU falls. He said, quote, CMP yields better and producing those doesn't take away from the supply of GeForce, so it protects the supply for the gamers, end quote. Previous efforts to launch specialized mining hardware, notably the crypto SKU units, have landed NVIDIA in hot water with shareholders claiming the firm misrepresented to investors that half of its GPU sales were made, up to, were, were made to crypto miners during 2017 and 2018, resulting in inaccurate forecasts demanding, or regarding demand for GPUs for gamers Amid the crypto bear trend, NVIDIA won the case in March of this year. My, I wonder who really cares how you sell your shit as long as you're selling your shit. I mean, does it, I mean, un, unless a sector that you're selling to is getting a deep discount, like I would be pissed if I was an NVIDIA shareholder and found out that they were selling high-end GPUs for 10% of what it costs to build it or something like that and we're losing money. Yeah, I'd be pissed there, but dude, move the units. I don't care to who. I'm just saying, I mean, that just seems like that's what you want to be able to do. And you're not running around saying, well, you don't, you're, you're not selling within the uh, realm of our mission statement. We're here for the gamers and you sold to crypto miners. You know, if I was CEO, I'd be going, yeah, we got rid of all our stock. We sold everything and we have even higher demand this year. You should be praising me and not giving me the boot. I don't know. It seems weird to me, but the whole world is weird right now. Restricting crypto trading to millionaires is good for Hong Kong, says official. Did I mention that the world has become very weird? Yeah, it only makes sense to, to allow the people that have already made all the money they need to be the ones to make money off of something. That... See, that totally makes sense. That, yeah, yeah. Osato Ivan or Avin Nomayo is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Christopher Hui, Hong Kong Secretary for Financial Services and Treasury, has defended the recent proposal by the city's financial services and the Treasury Bureau to ban retail crypto trading in a speech delivered at Smart Me Up HK virtual fintech summit on Thursday, who he said that the proposal was in line with the government's plan to properly police the emerging crypto market. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, the FSTB issued a proposal after months of consultation calling for a ban on retail crypto trading and the establishment of a strict regulatory regime for cryptocurrency exchanges. As part of the proposal set to be presented before the city's legislature, the FSTB argued for a minimum investment threshold for crypto trading at about $1 million U.S. This provision will reportedly exclude about, oh, 93% of Hong Kong's population from the city's cryptocurrency market if passed by the government. However, Hui is of a different view stating, quote, We are of a view that a proper regulatory system could facilitate development and at the same time protect investors and adhere to international regulatory standards. 
According to the Hong Kong Treasury chief, quote, imposing mandatory requirements to protect investors, prohibit market manipulation and guard against money laundering and, of course, terrorist financing, we believe the proposed regime will further facilitate development of the virtual assets industry in Hong Kong, leveraging our world-class regulatory framework, end quote. Oh, Jesus. They're treating regulation like it's a product that they're trying to sell to the world like tennis shoes. It's just disgusting. Apart from shutting out retail crypto activity, Hong Kong's restrictive laws may also force exchanges out of the city despite the government's plan to allow foreign customers or companies to obtain operating license in the city. Indeed, back in December 2020, when the FSTB was still in the middle of its consultations, Several industry stakeholders criticized the planned crypto regulations. At the time, critics argued that these restrictive virtual currency laws would be inimical to Hong Kong's financial innovation agenda. So lots of suit speak there, but basically there's, here's the gist of it. They're going to keep the rich people rich and allow them through the gate of this entire sector and they're going to basically take a giant shit and flush the toilet on 93% of the population. Now, just extend that those numbers to the rest of the world and you figure out where our problem is. It's the same shit. 93% of the world's population is in, is in hell. And if you're living outside of America... You, you know it. You're, if you're in third, like, you know, Central America, South America, pretty much anywhere on African continent except South Africa itself, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I haven't actually, I've been to Mexico, but I've been to Mexico City. So, no, I've never been to a jungle village in Guatemala. So, yeah, sure, point your finger and laugh and say, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But at least I got some kind of, can have some kind of empathy, at least fucking try, you know? This is the same bullshit that's going on everywhere. Whether you're in Canada, the United States, the UK, it does not matter. Japan, India, if you're already rich, then you get the keys to the gate and you get to walk through that gate. If you're just a simple pleb, they're just going to keep you poor and they're doing it right in front of your eyes. And yet still, 93% of the world's population will not stand, rise up and start, well, I guess I probably shouldn't say it. I'll probably get banned. But you know what I'm thinking. Because at one point or another, this shit doesn't last. Populations get pissed. And when populations get pissed and pushed to the point, to the point of no return, really, really scary crap starts happening. Let's run the numbers. All right, before we jump directly into CNBC futures and commodities, I forgot to tell you guys that the Purpose Bitcoin ETF, the one of the first Canadian Bitcoin ETFs, um, <clears throat> I got this tweet from uh, Les Muskovsky, and I don't know, I, it, it seems corroborated by Glassnode, so let's just read it here. Anyway, the, the Purpose Bitcoin ETF has resumed growth with 898 BTC added in a week. Seems like the retail demand is getting back on track. And then he's got the supporting <clears throat> evidence in a graph of a purpose Bitcoin ETF 
flows and it looks like inflow has risen over the last week and indeed the numbers seem to check out so at least as far as the purpose uh, the bitcoin purpose etf is concerned we've got people that are buying in so that's good now futures and commodities uh flammable liquids are on fire and not in a good way we've got west texas intermediate down 0.87 percent to 65 dollars and 63 cents Brent North Sea is down the, almost exactly the same, uh, 0.86%. is coming in at $68.28 a barrel. Natural gas, which apparently hit kind of a, a, a like a local top yesterday at well over $3, is actually down a quarter of a point, yet is still coming in at $3.02 for 1,000 cubic feet of that. Uh, shiny metal, shiny metal rocks are mixed. Gold is down a quarter of a point, eighteen hundred and ninety-six dollars. Silver is down a point six of a percent, twenty-seven dollars and seventy-one cents. Platinum is down uh, half a percent, one thousand one hundred and ninety-four dollars. Copper is up point six, and palladium is up one point zero five. Agricultural futures are also mixed, with wheat with uh, showing the highest gain. 1.77% to the upside. Soybeans are down. Corn and sugar are both up. Sugar's up substantially, 1.3%. Coffee, cotton, rough rice, and cocoa are all down. Well, not rough rice. It's actually unchanged. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Indices. Dow futures are up 0.05%. S&P futures are down 0.16. NASDAQ is down a third. And the S&P mini is down 0.15%. All of the bonds got hit on prices. The 30-year went down a quarter of a point. <clears throat> Ten-year is down 0.12. Five-year futures down 0.06. And the two-year is down 0.01. So there you go. Now, real money, $39,569.51 for one BTC. There were 242,933 transactions performed in the last 24 hours with 10,000 transactions an hour on average. 1.28 million BTC were sent in the last 24 hours. That's 53,522 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 5.29 BTC and the median transaction value holding stable at 0.026 BTC or about $1,024. Block times are nailed to the wall at 10 minutes, zero seconds. I hardly ever see a perfect time like that. It's kind of cool to see. 0.49 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 71 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 1.47% rise in hash rate, we are at 155.5 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge as usual, and it's down to 30 and one half United States pennies. That's 30 and a half cents if you're keeping score. We have 18,000 transactions <clears throat> waiting on 62 blocks to clear. Our market capitalization is down to $741.2 billion. That's 6% of gold's market cap. And even with the rise in price of gold, you can still get 20.8 ounces of gold for 1 BTC, of which there are 18,719,610 and a quarter BTC in circulation. 1,365 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $54.1 million. 
with uh, that's being run over 11,500 nodes, representing 46,725 channels. Tor capacity has increased to yet another all-time high. 61.2% of the Lightning Network is now being run over Tor. There are 836.27 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network and 5,785 nodes that we can see. All right, taproot activation, where are we? Fields of green, baby, fields of green. I'm looking at it right now. Yesterday I saw my very first solid green row of blocks, right? We've got a couple of red blocks that have interspersed since I did the show yesterday. But honestly, when I'm looking at taproot.watch and go just looking at the main page and, and I'm getting a visual representation of who is signaling and who's not, man, there's, I, I'm, I'm looking, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this next signaling period, we're going to see Taproot get locked in, which would be totally freaking cool. Uh, let's see who's on the mining pool. Almost, I've got one, two, well, let me count who's not signaling. One, two, three, four. I got four miners that are not signaling. We have a to current total of 97.17% of miners are signaling for Taproot. So that's going to do it for titles. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Uh, we're going to start this off in the category of these are not the droids you're looking for. Elon Musk is not the right person to lead the green Bitcoin debate, says Nick Carter. Erhan Karaman is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Uh, Castle Island Ventures' Nick Carter doesn't think Elon Musk is the right person to lead the clean Bitcoin debate, possibly not as far as the Bitcoin community is concerned. He told Bloomberg, quote, Bitcoiners are still intensely skeptical of Musk, and they view him as conflicted, given that his business partially involves the sale of offsets. However, asking for Bitcoin miners to be more transparent about their energy mix is a good proposal, no matter who is coming from, Carter stressed, alluding to the recently formed Bitcoin Mining Council. Bitcoin is a decentralized synthetic commodity that is very resistant to regulation, he noted, and if you ban Bitcoin in one jurisdiction, the hash power will just flow to a new jurisdiction. There will be no shortage of friendlier jurisdictions, even if individual countries do ban it. Instead of banning Bitcoin due to its energy consumption, Carter suggests policymakers should create greener grids for Bitcoin mining. North American Bitcoin miners are cleaner than many other industrial consumers of electricity. Carter believes this is why the idea of miners being more transparent about the kind of energy they are using is going to vindicate them. Carter also doesn't seem to be convinced on the Bitcoin is used for money laundering narrative. Any monetary system is always going to be used for crime, he stated, noting that the United States dollar is used for illicit purposes far more often than Bitcoin is. Associating Bitcoin with criminal activities is a curious angle, according to Carter, since we didn't ban the U.S. dollar because Pablo Escobar had heaps of dollars in his basement. And Pablo Escobar did have heaps of dollars in his basement. The Bitcoin Mining Council was established following a meeting between Musk and leading Bitcoin miners in North America, brokered by MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor. The council's primary goal is to promote 
transparent energy use and accelerate sustainability initiatives worldwide, Sailor tweeted. Okay, so I don't know. Either side of this argument is going to get somebody in trouble. Whether you're saying, hey, well, we should be ESG or like the more, you know, I don't want to say militant, but the more, let's say, pig-headed argument of fuck the ESG. And I'm definitely on the pig-headed side. In fact, like if I had just oodles of cash laying around, I would build a mining farm that was completely ESG compliant. And then I would not, I would announce that we're ESG compliant. I would prove that we could get, you know, the, the certification and all the paperwork from the ESG guys that says stamp of approval. And I would publish that. And then I would make the announcement that I'm not going to seek ESG compliance or certification because fuck those guys. And then I would proceed to start mining non-OFAC compliant transactions. No, I'm serious, guys. At one point, we got to stand up. Even if, it, I mean, even if you're, even if you're kind of being a scumbag about it, just to prove a point that you just can't go around telling everybody what to do. Look, if I'm if I'm running around in the street and I'm shooting people dead, then yes, please, by all means, shoot me dead. Regulate my activity. But if I'm not killing people and I'm not stealing their shit and I'm not causing their time on this planet to be wasted, then why do you care what the hell it is that I do? Now, I'm not going to start throwing coal, you know, into a burner and start producing electricity that way because even I know that coal ain't exactly all that clean. But the hysterics here, this, this shit needs to go away. So Nick has taken his side. He's apparently on the, the ESG side. I clearly don't like the ESG shit. However, Nick has a point. I can't, I can't disregard his point. Maybe they should be showing that they're clean. I'm just saying this, this whole like getting on your knees to service the ESG ladies and gentlemen, you know, for, and, and beg for certification isn't necessary. What's necessary is for you to be in compliance yet not ask for their blessing. That's where the, that's where the real meat of this is is you show, you prove beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt that you are in fact able to be certified ESG compliant and then you don't do it and you announce that you're not gonna do it and that the reason why you're not gonna do it is because regulations are crushing the hope of humanity and that you're not gonna buy into this bullshit even though that you can, if that makes any sense. Anyway, so David, uh, let's see. Sorry, not David. Uh, banning crypto to stop hackers is like banning cheese to stop mice, says David Morris. That's where I was going with that. And this is out of Coindesk.com, by the way. The disabling of the colonial pipeline after a reported ransomware attack early this month has renewed U.S. interest in cybersecurity. Messing with Americans' gasoline has quite a focusing effect, apparently. Unfortunately, the fact that cryptocurrency played a role in the hack has helped channel much of that interest in the wrong direction. Yesterday, we got a sterling example of this misdirection in the form of a Wall Street Journal editorial arguing that banning cryptocurrency is a reasonable step in the fight against cybercrime. Take a bite out of crime. The piece's author, Duke University financial regulation researcher Lee Rayners, argues that cryptocurrency has no real-world utility and that ransomware can't succeed without cryptocurrency. So we should just get rid of crypto. 
If it's too hard to ban outright, Rayners argues on ramps such as exchanges should be outlawed as a proxy. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's let's chill out here for a second. Cryptocurrency has no real world utility, and that ransomware can't succeed without cryptocurrency. That's that's the sentence. What that actually should read is. Lee Rayners argues that cryptocurrency has no real-world utility and that its utility is in the real world. Because guess what? Ransomware, whether it's evil or not, whether you like it or not, whether it's illegal or not, is a thing. It makes people money. People spend their time on this planet to engage in activities around ransomware and they request payment to be able to restore people's systems and data for it and they're taking cryptocurrency so just because you don't think that ransomware is good or moral or ethical does not mean that it is not a real world example of value for value exchange in the real world prostitution isn't legal in most places in the world either and a lot of people consider it immoral and unethical and destructive to the family unit yet it happens and the prostitutes themselves spend their time on this planet engaging in activities, requesting payment for services rendered. And they get it in the real world. Some of them take cryptocurrency. You see what I'm getting at here? This Lee Rayner's guy, he shouldn't actually be at a prestigious university like Purdue. He should be teaching at Amarillo Community College. I'm sorry, just saying. There are many nuanced reasons to reject this argument, by the way. You could compare it to demanding a ban on cheese because your house is infested with rats. You could say that it's a massive category error that mistakes a tool for a cause. You could point out, as many have, that cryptocurrency should be a massive gift to law enforcement since it leaves a permanent and public record of criminal activity. You could make the point that even the most beneficial new technology always has unexpected negative side effects and that dealing with them as they arise has always been a major element of modern societies. <clears throat> you could make those arguments and more, but... They can be left for another day because even on its own terms, the argument for banning cryptocurrency as a cybersecurity measure fails so pathetically, it's hard to imagine it's intended seriously. Why? Well, above all, because ransomware is not the only kind of hacking and the same measures needed to protect against ransomware will still be needed to protect against other kinds of attacks, even if we ban cryptocurrency. Further, while banning cryptocurrency would likely put downward pressure on ransomware attacks, it won't stop them. We know because they predate the invention of cryptocurrency itself. So if the goal is to improve cybersecurity broadly, banning crypto would be a massive effort with very limited impact. Most of the worst hacks of recent years haven't involved cryptocurrency ransoms. In 2013, hackers stole credit cards and other personal data of 40 million target customers. In 2017, Equifax, which holds financial data on a huge proportion of American adults, was robbed of 147.9 million consumer records. The terrifying SolarWinds hack, in which allegedly Russian-backed hackers spied on dozens of U.S. entities where they may still have footholds, was revealed just last year, and none of these attacks involved cryptocurrency ransoms. SolarWinds may have been the most important example here, since state-backed espionage has no strategic overlap with ransomware. The entire point is to remain undetected. 
The target and Equifax breaches are also useful reference points because just like most ransomware attacks, they were aimed at accessing data. But that data was ultimately most likely monetized via identity theft and loan or credit card fraud, not crypto ransom. Does that mean we should ban credit cards? <clears throat> Even ransomware is not, as the journal piece argues, impossible without cryptocurrency. Ransomware schemes with names like GP Code, CryZip, Croton were all up and running before Bitcoin was invented, with ransom paid through a variety of channels, including plain old money orders. <laughs> Cryptocurrency certainly makes ransomware crimes safer and easier, but getting rid of it wouldn't fix the problem. Actual cybersecurity experts seem to agree. The Institute for Security and Technology, a cybersecurity coalition and think tank supported by companies like Microsoft, has released a list of anti-ransomware recommendations that highlights the role of cryptocurrencies. But the report makes no suggestion that crypto should be banned and emphasizes that blockchain can leave investigators more evidence to work with than traditional finance. All in all, the incoherence of the ban crypto argument is so striking that it invites questions about the motives of those making it. It's tempting, and in some cases certainly correct, to assume that it's an appealing position for those who dislike cryptocurrency for completely unrelated reasons, i.e. screwing up your fiat gains, bro. But a more generous explanation is that cybersecurity is a very scary and difficult challenge with no obvious solution in sight. So there's a strong temptation to highlight seemingly simple answers, even if they are misguided, it's a bit like the joke about the old man looking for his glasses under a street lamp. Quote, I dropped them in the alley, but I'm looking here because the light is better. End quote. A more substantive suggestion to address ransomware is to make paying cyber ransoms illegal, just as paying kidnapping ransoms or bribes is in some countries. This would reduce the motive for ransomware attacks by making them less profitable. It would also push more system admins to set up robust backup and recovery plans, which they should have in place anyway, and which would mitigate against other types of cyber attacks and not just ransomware attacks. More broadly, cybersecurity experts are pursuing a vision of what they call zero trust architecture, the basic approach of zero trust cyber defense is to assume that your system will be breached and is set up in a way that limits the potential damage of a breach. At this point, it's unclear whether zero trust will have a major impact on cybercrime, but it's where experts are focused. Rainers, authors of, author of the journal piece, lists two years as an Army communications specialist in the mid-2000s as his only obvious cybersecurity adjacent experience of this. That's ballers, dude. Yet he dismisses efforts like zero trust as pro forma and inadequate, saying banning cryptocurrency is simpler and more effective for stopping ransomware. Simpler and more effective than, you know, actually improving cybersecurity. That's ultimately why ban crypto is not just a misinformed or disingenuous argument, but a dangerous one. It's a distraction from the real cybersecurity challenge facing the United States and the world, and from the solutions that actual experts believe in. So there's the article, but my God, he was a communications specialist for two years in the mid 2000s. Whoa, man, that's a, that's a freaking hubris that, for the journal and and Rainers to actually drag themselves out into this argument with almost non-existent credentialing.
And I know, I know, it's like credentials are just the same thing as like the stamp of approval from the ESG guys. But still, I mean, some like demonstrable experience it would you would think that that would kind of be necessary at this point. I don't know, man, the whole thing is weird. But yeah, putting to bed the whole bullshit article from the Wall Street Journal yesterday, uh, David did a pretty good job. Uh, thank you, I appreciate that. Now, this is an interesting one. Be aware. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin and, in fact, is about Tezos. You'll understand why I'm bringing it to you, but you got to understand that it is 100% shit coinery here. Martin Young has it from Cointelegraph. Crypto couple tells court the IRS has no right to tax newly mined coins. A couple investing in crypto have claimed that coins gained by mining or staking are non-taxable until sold in a complaint filed in federal court. The Tennessee couple are seeking a refund from the IRS and filed a complaint with the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Tennessee on Tuesday, May the 25th. Joshua and Jessica Jarrett claim that earnings from staking are not taxable transactions because they constitute the creation of property. They compared this to a baker making a cake or an author writing a novel. Law 360 reported that the court heard Jarrett used his resources to create 8,876 new units of Tezos tokens in 2019 and has yet to sell any of them. The case is based on the premise that the crypto assets were created and have not been sold, so no income or profit has been realized from them. In their complaint, the Jarrett stated that the United States seeks to use federal income tax law to do something unprecedented, which is create or which is to tax creative activity rather than income, adding, quote, taxing newly created cakes, books, or tokens as income would have far-reaching and detrimental effects on taxpayers and the United States economy and is without support in the Internal Revenue Code, regulations, case law, or the Constitution of the United States, end quote. The company cited, or the couple cited a two, good Lord, guys. The couple cited a 1920 Supreme Court case which held that income must involve a, quote, coming in. Property made by a taxpayer does not come in, but rather it goes out, they stated. Another 1955 ruling where the court characterized income as instances of undeniable accessions of wealth clearly realized and over which the taxpayers have complete dominion was used to back up the claim. The couple reported the tokens as other income on their tax returns, resulting in a payment of $9,407 to the IRS, a refund of $3,293 paid in federal income, and a $500 increase in tax credits resulting from a reduction in their income has been requested. The couple's lawyer, David L. Forst, stated that there is 100 years of tax law as a legal precedent that newly created property is not taxed. In early March, Cointelegraph reported that the IRS clarified that crypto investors who only purchased digital assets using fiat and did not sell during 2020 do not need to report said activities. On May the 20th, it was reported that the U.S. Department of the Treasury called for exchanges and custodians to report crypto transactions greater than $10,000 to the IRS. Okay, so even though that this is about Tezos, it's going to apply to everything. If they win this case then all of a sudden the United States looks extraordinarily attractive to Bitcoin mining because of newly mined coins. Because we're going to be mining this shit 
until like what, 2140 or something like that. That's why I read it to you, even though it's mostly, well, it's actually mostly about the case, but it's, it's over Tezos and not Bitcoin. So please forgive me for that. But I think that this is important, you know, cause I had no idea that there's actually, I, it was, it's not that I didn't have any idea. It just didn't come on my radar to think about, Hey, if I create something, am I going to be taxed on it? That's an interesting issue. It's an interesting tax issue as well. So I hope they win their case and get into Bitcoin and get out of Tezos because that thing is like a freaking dumpster fire. My God. All right. So as you've probably heard, PayPal will be able to, or PayPal users will be able to withdraw crypto to external wallets. Sam Borgi telling us about it from Cointelegraph. PayPal's embrace of cryptocurrency appears to be growing after the payments provider revealed that it will allow users to withdraw their digital assets to third-party wallets. The news, reported by Reuters on Wednesday afternoon, comes just seven months after PayPal first enabled crypto purchases on its platform. The Wednesday announcement means PayPal users will be able to send their cryptocurrencies to other wallets instead of just holding it on PayPal or selling it into fiat currency for withdrawal. However, neither Reuters nor PayPal have specified when the crypto withdrawal feature would be supported. If it's anything like PayPal's decision to enable cryptocurrency purchases last fall, the initial rollout of third-party wallets could be gradual and location-based. PayPal's embrace of crypto appears to be rooted in a clearly defined strategy that sees digital asset use cases growing rapidly over time. As Cointelegraph previously reported, CEO Dan Schulman believes we will see a tremendous decline in the use of cash over the next decade, adding, quote, all form factors of payments will collapse into mobile phones. Credit cards as a form factor will go away and you will use your phone because a phone can add much more value than just tapping your credit card, end quote. Earlier this month, Shulman also indicated that PayPal's crypto business was already paying dividends for the company. Quote, we've got a tremendous amount of really great results going on tactically with our crypto efforts, he said. So, well, okay. Uh, we'll have to see how this one rolls out. Because like, you know, as soon as that they can turn it on, you bet your bottom dollar they can turn it off. So if they get, you know, they, they, this is something that looks like it can be regulated and clearly PayPal obviously is regulated. So what happens next? I don't know. And nobody does. We'll just, we'll just have to see. Uh, let's see what I got here. Oh, oh, oh good Lord. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, let's... Listen, I'll do my tweet first. After months of intensive undercover investigative research, CNBC uncovers a bombshell none of us knew, knew about. I'm serious, no one knew. And here's the headline from CNBC. Bitcoin traders using up to 100 to 1 leverage are driving the wild swings in cryptocurrencies. This was written May 25th, 2021, y'all. May 25th of this year. And... Uh, how long has leverage been in, in this causing problems in this market? And CNBC is just now wrapping their little tiny neurons around the idea and the concept. Isn't that just sad? So uh, the governor of South Korea's central bank has said that leverage crypto trading threatens the country's financial system. The South Korean Herald reported 
And this is actually a, a small article from Jamie Crawley, but basically it's a collection of little statements. An excessive level of leveraged cryptocurrency trading puts households at risks of financial damages. Considering the instability of cryptocurrency, says the Bank of Korea Governor Lee Ju Yeol on Thursday, quote, we expect the increasing amount of crypto trading to have negative impacts on the financial system in any respect. Lee pledged to monitor the monetary transactions of Korea's financial institutions associated with leveraged crypto trading, suggesting new loans may be curtailed to prevent defaults that could have a knock-on effect on the country's banking system, according to the Korean Herald. Korea's central bank is already seeking authority to monitor those cryptocurrency transactions made through individuals' bank accounts. That measure could be brought in as early as September, which is also the deadline for crypto exchanges to register as virtual asset service providers, uh, a requirement that would enable the state to determine the legality of their operations in order to crack down on, guess what? Money laundering and fraud. I'm surprised they actually didn't put terrorist financing in there. So yeah, uh, all these people are just now, I guess, finding out that uh, about BitMEX and leverage trading and shit. Uh, we are so early, guys. We're just so early. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes, bro. Me and the wife went to the restaurant for the first time in ages. The waiter said, I'm so sorry, but we are so busy tonight. Would you mind waiting for a bit? I said, no problem. He said, we'll take these drinks over to table 10. If you want to help spread the no, help me with the show. Go and listen to it on the Breeze Wallet in their podcasting app and utilize the newest, the latest, the greatest of podcasting 2.0 so that you can stream me Satoshis while you listen to this podcast. That's right. You can stream me 3, 5, 10, 100 sats every minute while you're listening. And if you stop listening, the sats stop flowing. Better yet, those Satoshis flow directly into my lightning node. Not a third-party node, not somebody else's wallet, not to my wallet, directly to my Lightning node. And you don't have to do nothing about it. If you go to the Breeze wallet and you start listening to the podcast from there, I've got it set up that the Satoshis that you send can only go to one place, and that's to my Lightning node. That's right, into directly my custody do those Satoshis flow. Also, a five-star review on Apple and all that kind of stuff would be great. You know, tell me, tell your friends and family about me, you know, like, subscribe, do all the things, tell your friends to do all the things and help me out because I just love doing this shit in the morning. I really do. Even though I'm just my half asleep through the first half of the show because I'm waking up at five does not mean that I don't love doing this for you guys. So help me give a brother a hand. And uh, let's see, is there anything, parting notes? Yeah, okay, so all the FUD, it looks like we may be on the downside of the FUD cycle. Um, I'm seeing less and less hysteria about Bitcoin's energy usage. That may or may not be in part to the whole Michael Saylor, Elon Musk thing. Um, if you find yourself on one side of the ESG story and one of your favorite Bitcoiners is on the other, Try this for try this on for size. Give that Bitcoiner a break, right? 
Give them a break, or better yet, try to figure out their side of the story. Why does Nick Carter think that the ESG stuff is good? Why does people like Marty Bent think it's completely bad? It doesn't matter if you're on one side of that argument or another, because guess what? That is a manufactured argument because we're, think of it as a tennis ball net in between two players. Yet we're on what all of us are like being netted against each other on one side of the net of the bigger game, Bitcoin versus fiat and legacy financial. We're all on this side. And yet somehow or another, constructions keep coming up that cause us, you know, to start sparring with each other, even though we're all Bitcoiners. Let's try to limit that. You don't have to. It's your choice. It's completely up to you. But, you know, think about it and give Bitcoiners that are not on your side of your particular Bitcoin argument a break. Try to see their side. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.